Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Female Founders Network, a podcast brought to you by invoice to go I'm your host, Nat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Sylvie. Hey, everyone. We record our show in the Forbes Street studio in downtown Sydney, Australia, but we bring guests from all over the world. So you'll hear people from the U.S., the United Kingdom, Europe, the Asia Pacific, anywhere that we find women who lead and inspire others. This is a great podcast for women who are navigating business ownership, leadership, or just life. Each episode should connect you with someone else's story, but also leave you with practical tips and advice that you can use in your own life and in your own business. Hi guys, today we're speaking about a topic that is very dear to my heart, both as an American and as a mum. This year, America not only suffered the relentless wrath of COVID-19, but also an overpowering wave of civil unrest sparked by the deaths of black citizens like George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. In this episode, we talk with women business owners and consultants, Hawa Muhammad and Dory Cook, on their experience coping with the unrest all around them as black women. We discussed how they've protected their own mental health, practiced self-care, and supported their communities during this time. We also asked Hawa and Dory's advice on how we can best support the black community right now as women and citizens of the world. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi guys, how are you today? Good. Yeah, so today we're joined by Dory Cook and Hawa Muhammad. We're really excited to speak to you as our um, panel to discuss what's been going on in the US this year and how we as a community can support um, black female founders. Yeah, yeah. It has been such a, a tumultuous year in so many ways. And one of the things I've been personally frustrated with because I am abroad is seeing all of the civil unrest in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and, you know, not much being done about it. You know, this is your podcast. This is so that so we can all understand your experience as black women and female leaders during this time. And also so that you can give advice both for the black community out there about how ways that you're taking care of your own mental health and practicing self-care during this time. And also for the rest of us, you know, the people who don't belong to the black community but want to support you in any way that we can, what can we do? Thank you guys for being on the panel. We are so happy to have you. Yeah. So, um, Howard, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and your business and introduce yourself? Yes. Uh, so very happy to be here. Thank you for making the space for this. Uh, I started Pink Trumpet back in 2015. Uh, and Pink Trumpet is really derived from my 10 plus years of experience working in the nonprofit and philanthropic sector. Wow. Um, the main point of Pink Trumpet is to provide research and operational support, uh, not just for mission driven organizations, but for people that need help getting their ideas off the ground. Mm. Um, I founded it because I realized that process is something that's so overlooked um, when it comes to driving social change. Yeah. And so I really wanted the business to focus on how to help people better operationalize um, how they want to drive social change. Amazing. Uh, and then another, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Clearly, it's, it's something that I'm passionate about. I've been doing it for a long time and decided to go solo Um honestly, really more so this year. So I've been focusing on it um, on a full-time basis. That's amazing. And why did you decide that you wanted to go solo? What was it that made you want to start your own business? 
Yeah. So, you know, I think naturally I'm more of an entrepreneur uh, in, in general. And I saw a problem that I felt like, um, one, I really wanted to tackle this problem. And I felt like the best way to do it would be on my own. Um, when you have all of these ideas and, you know, you have your own vision for how you want to implement that, it's really hard to do that when you're working for someone else mm-hmm. whose vision might not align with, with yours completely. Mm. Um, and so it's it's been quite a ride um, doing this on top of everything else that's happening, but um, I don't regret it at all. And I've definitely been learning a lot along the way. Amazing. I think that's, that's the reason why a lot of people start their own businesses is for that, like, you know, to do your own vision and realize your own potential. And it sounds like you're doing that. So yeah. excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us. And um, Dory, um, we'd, I'd love to hear about you and your business and how you started Bibcook Consulting. Uh, yes. Well, good evening. And uh, well, it's evening time over here. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I'd like to thank you ladies for definitely creating a space for uh, African-American women to uh, you know just give you some insight on how we, you know, come about our hustle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, Bib Cook Consulting started uh, a few years back where after working in the classroom and uh, just getting some time and exposure under my belt as, a, as an educator, I realized that I wanted to actually service more students and more at-risk families than I you know, was currently doing in my classroom. Uh, So I, you know, went on and continued uh, in education. And then finally, I realized that the best way to uh, increase student success is by coaching teachers to be able to service students appropriately in the classroom. So Bibcook Consulting evolved to that where we're the educators coach and we are adamant about coaching teachers to be able to, you know, teach all of their students and not necessarily have to send a student out to an additional class because they're not able to uh, include them with the rest of the classroom. So we're all about inclusion of all students of different uh, learning variables and definitely for equipping teachers, uh, with the tools that they need to be successful in the classroom. Wow. And just given, you know, COVID and all of, all of the, the stresses that teachers are enduring right now, you know, we, we love our students and we definitely miss them and want to be back in the classroom. But we also want to be safe. And yeah. just in coaching my teachers every day and self-care, making sure that... Uh, we give we give each other those graces that we need throughout the day because this is something new that we all are learning. Um, you know, we no one of these of the last what five to six generations has lived through anything like this, especially mm. being an educator in the classroom. Mm. So it's it's new to everyone, but it's extremely stressful for teachers because we have that passion of wanting to support our students, you know, knowing how our students 
I may be struggling in the current, uh, you know, teaching milieu that we, that we have with virtual learning. Mm-hmm. And we want to be in the classroom. We want to see our students succeed. And so, you know, teachers really, really have to be reminded to practice self-care, uh, be aware of their emotions, uh, because sometimes you can bring that into the classroom and, and then your whole day goes bad. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Coaching, coaching has really has really been something that's needed uh, lately because of that. And so I take pride in the fact that I'm able to, you know, what we call stand in the gap for a teacher and just kind of help her or him along the way support their students the best way they can. Yeah. And both of you, the thing that strikes me about both of you is both of you as well have experiences of growing up in a place and living in a different place. And you're, I mean, you're both quite accomplished. I'm looking at your resume here. Um, You have, so Hawa, you have, you got your master's at Rutgers? Is that, is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, Hawa, you're originally from Nigeria, emigrated as a baby, am I right? And then got yes. your master's at Rutgers. So you've got the experience of both places that kind of shape who you are as a woman and a leader. Would you say that's accurate? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. How, yeah. What is that like? What, is, what does that mean for you? Just having those, those two experiences and, and growing up where I've grown up. Yeah, yeah. Or just like the experience, like personally for me, the experience of living in multiple places or having almost multiple identities, you know, like I've lived, I'm American, but I live in, you know, Australia right now. And I don't know, it's just, it shapes my worldview a little differently. I'm wondering if that's your, your experience as well. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, the other layer I'll add on to that is being a Muslim woman. Yeah. Um, growing up in an immigrant family in a very urban city, one of New Jersey's largest cities. Um, so lots of narratives, um, I think, were weaved, are weaved into, into my identity because of that. And I never take it for granted. Um, and I think a lot of how I even came up with the idea of starting a business and deciding who I want to serve, um, I would say was definitely influenced by, by all of those things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, Dory, you actually carry two places in your heart as well, right? You were uh, born in Alabama or grew up in Alabama and then came to D.C.? Yes, yes. Born and grew up in Alabama. Yeah. Uh, and came to D.C. as an adult. Yeah. So, yeah. How's yeah. that shaped I you? Have, uh, I, well, I still have a lot of, you know, traditional ways that uh, I would have been doing if I, you know, lived down south. Um, you know, such as, you know, holidays and traditions that we always practice uh, the type of music that I like to say uh, music here in D.C. that, you know, I don't, everyone here in D.C. loves it, but not necessarily, I don't necessarily. Yeah, so you uh, carry so, you those know, southern just, roots. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I do carry those from home yeah. and 
there's some things here in D.C. that I that I like and I enjoy too, but definitely home is, is, is where my heart is. Yeah, I think one thing that's kind of hard to understand for people globally, because, you know, we've got women who listen to this all over the world, is how different the cultures can be in America, even Mm -hmm. in states that are as close as Alabama and Washington, D.C. The culture can be a complete Mm -hmm. shift. So you can carry multiple identities within you by living in both places. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay, so... um, so we want to get into your experiences this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I have not been in America since January of this year because of international travel law. Um, you know, but watching it from the outside, I mean, it's just heartbreaking to see the, first of all, the COVID kind of the issue going untamed, basically, um, in Australia here where we've got a bit more of a handle on it, I would say. They're, we, um, you know, feel pretty safe overall. We have one state that's in lockdown. The rest of us are not. And the, the virus has been controlled to some extent for now. And you guys have just been, you know, for me and the people I love, it's like I feel like I'm living in fear just watching it over there. How have you two felt? I started to answer that question in my head by saying, you know, I I feel like we are living in, well, I'll speak for myself. I feel like I'm living in a bubble within a bubble. Mm. Um, And maybe this speaks a little, connects a little bit to what you were mentioning, Dory, as far as, you know, um, growing up in Alabama, having those roots and, you know, still being able to exist in, in different identities. Um, for me, watching everything unfold with COVID, I feel like um, naturally you can't talk about this without acknowledging the politics behind mm. um, how we share information about um, how to handle COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think in, for me, being on the East Coast, um, I live, or at least in Newark, New Jersey, I think I live in somewhat of uh, a bubble where uh, everyone kind of aligns uh, politically with, um, you know, how we see things. And um, but when you go outside, that that's not always the case. And so mm-hmm. you have some people who will just outright not even believe that this is a thing that that's happening and that's mm-hmm. real. And, um, yeah. You know, and then you live in a city where the reality of health disparities is is ongoing, and then it just becomes even more underscored uh, now. Um, so it's been unsettling in many ways, but um, I'm proud of how my city has has been handling it and um, communicating with residents. So one of the things I've observed is that. Um, there has been a more, um, a stronger local response um, to kind of um, create these bubbles, right, where people um, are at least aligned on mm. how to respond, um, what to do, and uh, where to go. Mm. Um, and so you see a stronger local response, or at least I see a stronger local response, which um, has strengthened the community and and 
how we're able to uh, kind of shield ourselves a little bit, uh, mm. a little bit more from um, from the impact of, of COVID from a health perspective and economically. Yeah, yeah. Dory, what's been your experience? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say here in D.C., you know, what I would agree with Holly as in living in a bubble, I, you know, found myself and many of my colleagues and my friends who, you know, say the same thing, but they feel that way. Uh, I will say that I think that D.C. is trying to uh, attack the issue in the best format that they can with informing uh, the community and making sure that the correct information and the appropriate procedures are taken uh, when, you know, people have been exposed. It doesn't really help that the president, you know, is having super spreader events at the White House, mm. which then impacts the surrounding community. Mm. Um, but I think out over and above that, I think that the not only D.C., but the neighboring communities are starting to, you know, really take things a little more serious because we see how COVID is really not only impacting our health, but our economy, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, where businesses are opening back up only to have to shut back down. Right. Uh, jurisdictions are going to phase three of opening up only to go back to phase two. Mm. Uh, so we're seeing a lot of that type of yo-yoing uh, going about because it's getting colder. But I do think for the most part that the community is uh, trying to pay attention to what the, the accurate information is telling us to do and, and play their part as to you know mitigating the circumstances that you know, involve COVID. So yeah, that's great to see, but it's definitely, it's still restricting and very stressful. Yeah. And how has it affected your business in particular, Dory? Have, have you noticed any changes? Is there anything that you've had to adjust during this time for this whole year, in fact? Oh, yes, that most definitely. Uh, again, teachers have had to go virtual. Yeah. And so just... Now our lessons are having to be virtual. We're having to incorporate uh, what many teachers probably didn't think that they had time to do. And now it's a must that they do, which is called social-emotional learning, where you're checking in with students more uh, based on their emotions to see where they are because they're, mm. it's, it's almost as though students have now been kind of sequestered to their own corners of the world. Yeah. They're not able to socialize with their peers or even with their teachers. Well, and not every student has the same support system, too, like at home. I mean, to your point. Exactly. Like, so you're, you're, exactly. your job is even harder and the educator's job is even harder. So it's it's really flipped your job on its head, I would think. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. So now everybody is signing up for all of the professional development engaging with students, you know, in a digital world. Yeah. Uh, So it's, you know, a lot of times educators, we have this thing where we're building an airplane while it's flying. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where we are right now. Right. What about you, Hawa? How have you um, shifted your business practices? Yeah, so for me, it was interesting because the at the point, I would say maybe around February, March, um, mm. is when I naturally transitioned to um, doing Pink Trumpet full-time because okay. I was laid off um, right. towards the end of 2019. Yeah. So it was somewhat of a shift, but I found that my schedule was very similar, except I wasn't going outside as much. And even when I was, well, when I was, I was now wearing a mask. Um, but, you know, the interesting thing about what's happening now is that more and more people want to channel these efforts into, you know, social impact initiatives that won't just sit in this moment in time. Yeah. And so having different conversations with people about what that can look like and, you know, how to create this operational supply chain in the social sector uh, that can really benefit communities, engage communities, um, and, and not just check off a box uh, for for a foundation or a business um, to say that they did something good mm. um, has been quite uh, quite interesting um, and um, very relevant during during these times. So I find that more and more people are asking um, great questions about yeah. how to do this and how to do it in a way that is sustainable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because now with everything going on, a lot of people who were kind of almost asleep before to everything that America yeah. needed to work on is like, oh, mm-hmm. a lot of these people are like, oh, holy shit, we need social change. And it's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's been <laughs> it's been coming, guys. Um, yeah. So let's get into, you know, the riots and the civil unrest that you guys are seeing. So. You know, I'm a white woman and I'm abroad and everything. And this has been heartbreaking for me to watch. Um, but what has it felt like as a black woman this year in the U.S.? Uh, sh- sure. Um, well, I'll say that uh, just this year alone, uh, it has been quite difficult. Yeah. I am a, a mother also. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it has, you know, really been difficult as far as just seeing what has been happening to yeah. uh, people that look just like me, look yeah. just like my daughter. How old are your kids, can I ask? Yes, I have I have one. She is 19. She's a sophomore okay. in uh, college now. Yeah. Um. So one of the main things that uh, I have started to do as a black woman going through not only COVID, but this, you know, social unrest is reflecting, just reflecting on the things that I am grateful for. Right. And I think that that has helped me a lot. Uh, I'm grateful that, you know, I still have my daughter, I still have my, you know, close friends and my family, my health. So just reflecting on those things and 
uh, trying to be in the moment and be grateful for what I have. Yeah. Uh, because there are people who don't. And, uh, it, you know, it just reminds me that I should be grateful. So that's one of the ways that I've tried to deal with uh, just, you know, all of the ugliness that is in the news, whether it's digital or, or on TV, just being grateful. Yeah. I, um, sorry, I got a little choked up when you were talking about being a mom. Um, I'm, I have two sons and I had this moment back in 2012. I don't, do you know Tamar Rice? Do you guys know the story of Tamar Rice? Mm -hmm. So, yes, we need to say his name. Um, so back in 2012, you know, I was raising, I was a single mom raising two boys in, um, Columbus and we live in a, we lived in an urban neighborhood and Tamar Rice was murdered. Um, you know, and my sons have friends of all races and backgrounds and that kind of thing. And I remember having this moment afterwards where I was watching him and his best friend play basketball in the backyard. And his best friend is is half black and thinking about how much I loved this kid that I'd watched grow up. You know, he wasn't my son, but he felt like my son. And just thinking, I can't imagine what it's like to be a black mother right now. Mm. You know, it's just it's so hard. So all the all the love to you. Dory as a black mom. Dory, I think it's really wonderful how you described that you practice gratitude in order to kind of look after your mental health and yeah. as a self-care. I think that is such an important thing to do. I'm wondering, how does your daughter feel about things? Do you speak to her about all of these issues? And Yeah, um, that's a good point. What's your family view? Yes, I actually I do uh, speak with her about... Uh, you know, things like this. Uh, I know we actually went to the Black Lives Matter Plaza and, and just looked at all of the uh, words that people had to say, things that were encouraging, things that uh, showed gratitude, uh, memorials, and just spoke with her about how she felt. Yeah. Uh, I think her main feeling is that one is disturbing. Yeah. Uh, I think her her generation they are more inclusive, right, than previous generations are, and so it it comes about pretty strange, so to speak, for right. her and her uh, band of friends with how how do you exclude someone just based on something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was one of the ways that her father and I, you know, chose to actually raise her, even though we lived in the South, right. was to be able to appreciate someone for who they are on the inside. Yeah. And uh, not their skin color or what they may have or what they may not have. Mm-hmm. And so as a young lady, she still... Uh, that's still a part of her character. Right. And so it, she finds it disturbing, but, uh, and, but she also feels that, you know, it's unfair and what can I do to not only have this, this, uh, this plight, you know, uh, have a voice 
they can be heard, but how can she have her own voice be heard? So right. she's definitely, you know, involved as far as a solution is concerned, but she definitely also finds it disturbing. Right. That, you know, people can feel that way. I I absolutely agree. I think we need more people to you know find this disturbing I think a lot more people do and and these issues and the civil unrest has really highlighted that and has given these issues a platform and I really believe that having more women um, and particularly black women in leadership roles guiding our community leading our businesses is one of the ways that we can keep moving forward and really kind of push through to the next stage of inclusivity so that everyone feels like your daughter does where it's like why would that's so not normal to not just yeah. want to be inclusive of everyone yeah um how well, are what's what's your kind of feelings towards this are, are, have you yeah what's your experience this year yeah so um i feel like much like a reflection of just the frenetic energy um that everything going on has has carried yeah i think my emotions have kind of um you know <laughs> reflected that wave um, you know, and, you know, I'll be honest, in the beginning, I, I felt a little confused. I said, well, you know, granted, we know that this has been happening for, for many years. Um, right. And I think social media has, um, you know, just really shined a, a wider light on um, the scope of everything that, that has been going on. Um, and so for me, I think I was feeling on the one hand, like, you know, it's good that now people are starting to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, th- this has really, this is not new. Um, right. And so then I also started to carry the feeling or concern or just question, you know, is this something that people are going to um, just, you know, occupy in this moment in time and, and like, what are sort of the real changes that, um, are going to happen? And then I just really took that question and flipped it more on me. Um, and gave myself more power to, uh, focus really intently on the best way to answer that for me because ultimately what I'm doing by answering that question is also saying, how can I help my community, my yeah. immediate community of my family and friends, yeah. and then, you know, the community where I live, the community where I was born. And, and so I think, or I hope that this is also helping people um, answer those that question um, in a very introspective and, and honest way, um, even if it did come from um, the ugliness of this moment, right. um, I think answering that question will hopefully um, unlock a lot of long-term planning and, and action that won't let this feel like this is just a fleeting um, moment. Yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like that was my first reaction too, um, being over here because it's like the Tamar Rice thing that we just spoke about. That happened in 2012, 
And then we had the death of Michael Brown in 2014 and countless others in between those and then countless others. And then we've got George Floyd happening, you know, now. And it's like, okay, this has happened so many times since social media, you know, started amplifying it alone. When will change happen? But I love your perspective of like, I turned it around on me. Mm -hmm. And Dory, I love your perspective of I'm turning it into positivity. You know, and seeing, like, how I can focus on the positive, how I could be grateful, how I can support my daughter. Like, both of you guys have such beautiful outlooks. For women who are listening to this, who are not part of the black community, we want to know how we can support you during this time, how we can support black-owned businesses more and drive this movement. Yeah, what can we do? Yeah. Yeah, that's... I And I been thinking about this um, too, because on the one hand, um, you know, I think it should be a natural, and I think sometimes asking the question of how to support Black-owned business might feel, might make it something in the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think sometimes the one piece of advice I have is, is to just grow curious, grow more curious about mm-hmm. and, and change your perception of, of, of what's out there. And that could be something as simple as, you know, asking yourself, uh, you know, as you do holiday shopping, you know, um, hmm, I wonder who founded this company or right. I wonder what their backstory is. Mm-hmm. Um, but just feeling I guess what I'm trying to say is I think having an inclusionary approach towards um, everything you do um, is is a lot easier said than done. But I think rooting that question in in a place that's not just focused on Black-owned business might make supporting Black-owned business businesses um a little easier Mm. or or feel a little seamless I don't know if that makes sense but I guess what I'm trying to say is I think just asking yourself who am I supporting yeah um is is a good place to start yeah that's so important and more genuine as well because it's like I want to support this business because I like it and I'm looking into it and oh yes this person has founded it and they and they happen to be black but I'm not it's like yeah. That's more inclusive rather than, right, right. yeah. Or they happen to be a woman or, you know, just like making those yeah. ethical decisions and like educating yourself. Yeah. So important. What about you, Dory? What's your best advice? Well, I will definitely agree. Um, being curious is probably my best piece of advice. Yeah. Um, I will say go and look and and. Find a business that is owned by a black woman mm. and decide to decide to support. Mm-hmm. Uh, do your research. Yep. Find out what that woman's story is, uh, what her purpose is, what her passions are, and make a decision to support. Uh, right. But first, you have to be curious and you have to actually decide uh, that that's something that you want to do. And it doesn't just have to be a black woman, but any woman of color or any 
female-owned uh, small business, yeah, go and find one to support. To say, I'm going to support a female small business owner, right? And you know, make that choice to do so. But definitely go out, research, be curious, and pass on that word. If you find a, a good business that you'd like to support, pass it on to a friend. I recommend. Yeah, beautiful. That's actually really important. Like, once you make that ethical decision and you're like, okay, I've done my research. This is the business I want to support because they're doing the right thing or because they're you know amazing story yeah yeah, yeah. then passing yeah. it on and helping others make that ethical decision mm-hmm. is really important yeah. too yeah. yeah beautiful there's a really great um kind of well it's, it's a bit of a meme that goes around every year around christmas time that i love and it's it's a a board chalkboard outside a coffee shop and it says every time that you buy from a small business someone somewhere does a happy dance and you don't get that from buying from big corporations (laughs) so let someone have their happy dance I think coming up to like the holiday season that's quite an important thing to remember (laughs) well even if when you are buying big brands like is this a big brand that is doing the right thing for the world or is this a big brand that isn't you know Mm -hmm. and not just in like a gloss over way like a lot of these brands have come out with, you know, Black Lives Matter statements and stuff like that. And that's awesome. But what else are they doing to support this issue? Yeah. You know, um, are they yeah. actually putting their money where their mouth is? Are they do they have initiatives that matter to help all issues that matter to us? You know, of course, like black owned wow. businesses and the black community, but also women, also climate change. You know, the mm-hmm. things that you believe in, the businesses you support should be supporting those initiatives as well mm-hmm. yeah how are what's what's kind of your aspirations for your business in the next year how do you see yourself progressing and and yeah <laughs> tell us yeah so in the next year I'm I'm hoping to really um, educate more people about the nuances of philanthropy and what being a philanthropist can look like for anyone, people like you and me. I think there are so many myths out there, um, not just about philanthropy and how to give, but how the nonprofit sector works in general. So Mm -hmm. um, I hope to actively be uh, writing more articles on LinkedIn and uh, using my Instagram page as a platform to connect with people who are interested in, in learning more about that. And hopefully changing some some myths and empowering people to be their own kind of philanthropist. That's amazing. And where can we find you on Instagram? Or anywhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sylvie's so already stalked you on Instagram. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm just like finding you to follow you And now. she's like, where can we find you? I know it's on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I am at Pink Trumpet LLC on Instagram, and I am Hawa Muhammad on LinkedIn. Beautiful. (laughs) Connecting now. And what about you? So, Dory, what are your uh, aspirations over the next year for your business? Over the next year, I look to finally have our curriculum uh, for sale. Okay. So we are in the process of uh, finishing up our curriculum. So hopefully within the next year, it'll be for sale and we'll be nationwide. Beautiful. That's awesome. And if someone wants to work with you as a consultant, how do they find you? 
they can go to my website, www.bibbbibbbook.com. I'm on Instagram at DCSPED. I'm on Twitter at BibCookGRP. Perfect. Beautiful. She's just lighting up all the socials, this one. Yeah. <laughs> just following you on everything. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a really moving episode. It's been such a thank you. And thank you for putting up with me when you, I cried. <laughs> no problem. It's, yeah, it's really close to our hearts. So thank you. It really means a lot. Yes, thank you all very much for uh, having this session. Awesome. Yeah, I, I really appreciated it. And thank you for, for putting this together. Oh, we'll chat soon. Bye, Bye you, you as too. well. This podcast was brought to you by Invoice to Go. We're an invoicing and billing app that helps business owners work and get paid from anywhere, at any location around the globe. And we're helping close the gender-based pay gap. Because the current US gender-based pay gap sits at around 19%, listeners of the Female Founders Network podcast will get exactly 19% off of any subscription. Just use the code EMPOWERWOMEN at checkout.